today's podcast is New York Times writer Hilary Scheinbaum. Hilary and I met at a box and flow class. She came to my studio on Bond Street when I was first opening her press class, and somehow we just hit it off. I've always, or for as long as I've known Hilary, been super inspired by the amount of industries she covers, from being an entertainment reporter to working on fitness challenges, and now, or most recently, uh, the author of The Dry Challenge, which is a book about going sober for 30 plus days. So um, as someone who goes in and out of like, should I drink, should I not drink? Um, this is a really interesting conversation about commitment and clarity. Stay tuned. Hey. I have Hilary Scheinbaum here, who I've been a fan of for a very long time. And I feel like I've known for a very long time um, through different iterations. I think we met at Box and Flow, didn't we? Yeah. It was yeah. like media class, and it was my first time there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were like oozing with energy, like so excited. And it was just very contagious. So that's so funny. You know, I feel like the younger, I mean, I think I, I wake up like that every day. It's a lot for a lot of people. I actually remember in, in uh, elementary school, this one girl I used to sleep over her house all the time, Laurel. And she would like get so upset because I would wake up and be like, hello world. And she was like trying to sleep. Or my friend Nicole, she would sleep late and I would start to cough to wake her up because like I didn't sleep late. So um, funny. We're morning people. It's yeah, good. exactly. Um, but I remember meeting you and I feel like that was like five years ago at this point and you like were a freelance writer and now you are too, but you like write for the New York Times and that's a big fucking deal. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's you're a published author and have your own book and... um yeah so let's just so who are you like what, how do you describe yourself I mean I think that was a great introduction like career-wise I think yeah it's definitely been an evolution too because it's funny like I still cover a lot of the same things but a lot of my life used to revolve around um different subjects we'll say so like I used to be a red carpet reporter and my life was like celebrity news and going to after parties and then during the day covering different trends ranging from beauty and fitness and health which I still do but also alcohol as well which I don't cover anymore really and um you know now I cover like the alternative to alcohol which is not drinking or substitutes for, for it but um yeah it's been interesting I don't know I think I'm a, a like everyone is like a work in progress and also like still changing every day but always a writer and always curious yeah well so even in that because I think I'm so curious and you've been so helpful in my journey and so open to just like holding me in this process of expressing myself in a new medium in writing like what does it look like did you always know you were a writer like did you want to be a writer I think it's like both like number one I hate math and like that was never gonna happen so I kind of figured out pretty early like what are things that I like to do and that I can work at and that I also can be good at so writing I think came naturally to me and um yeah I knew I knew since at a very young age that I wanted to write a book even before I wanted to become a journalist because mm -hmm. I was definitely more shy so I would have never pictured myself talking to people and asking you know 
questions and, and kind of like digging in and really pushing people to, you know, give me answers that um, can help build a story of all things. But I, I always love to write. So the, um, the interview part came much later. So it's funny when you say like you were shy, the first thing that like I see is like little baby Hillary, like hiding behind a book. Were you a big reader? I definitely read a lot. I feel like that I can kind of give my parents credit for because unless they were like sleeping or like out of the house, usually TV was like super limited. I mean, unless it was somewhat like educational, I guess, uh, which sounds so nerdy. Um, but yeah, so like every so often, I mean, you know, my mom would take us to the library, pick up books. It wasn't, I wasn't like interested in the news, you know, as like a child, but definitely read a lot of, of books growing up. So I think that's where I wanted to be like a novelist and, you know, write the, the great American novel, as they say, <laughs> which I have not done, but maybe it's coming. I think it's interesting too, like, um, as you just mentioned baseline, like your trajectory from being like this red carpet reporter, like focusing on like going out and drinking and whatever else to this like sober curious or sober, you know, in the sober renaissance, you sort of led this path in a lot of ways with your book, which we'll get into. And it sort of reminded me of like my career path from food and like being out till 5am drinking whiskey and eating dry steak and realizing that like, I'd much prefer to wake up at 5am and work out. And so that shift was interesting, but there was definitely an overlap, you know, it was like, I needed to experience like the toxicity so that I could really enjoy the, um, you know, the purity in a way, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I hear you on that. I think I, I don't, I don't know if it was like, if it felt toxic to me when I started like transitioning out of that atmosphere but I do remember as you said like feeling just like tired and I don't regret you know how my career began at all I learned so much as a red carpet reporter I it was the best job for someone in their 20s in New York City I mean it was my dream job and I learned so much and I think it was the best possible job for somebody in their 20s um, in New York City, because you got to experience the city on so many levels. I was at a different venue every night, and I got to, you know, be among people that celebrities that I looked up to, or that I watched on TV, and that I, you know, obsessed over while watching E News, while you know, sitting on my couch in college eating spaghetti. Like it was all real, and it was all within reach. And I think I was so it was such a privilege and such a great experience during that time, but you know, after doing that night after night for five years, I think, and still getting up at, you know, 7am to go work out the next day, I think at, at one point, or at, I guess, many points, I just kind of looked at it, like, I really value my mornings. And I also value my time with my friends, because, and, you know, my social life outside of work, because I think that when you um, are in such, you know, a great position like that. You don't want to give it up, but when you're, when your day really starts at 5 PM and sometimes ends at two in the morning, you can typically miss out on things like birthday dinners and 
you know, dates at normal hours or just giving yourself time to decompress after a long day. So, um, you know, there are sacrifices with every dream job and that was one that I was making. But I think after a while I was like, all right, I am, I'm ready for what, what's next, you know? Right. I think it's interesting too, as you said, like the hours of like your nightlife reporting, it's a similar hours of like the hospitality industry, you know, it's like you, and that's why so many relationships are born in the kitchen. It's because it's all, you know, because when you're working, everybody else is sleeping or everybody else is celebrating and, um, and vice versa. And I think it creates in the restaurant world, like very much like a toxic culture, but also like I can assume like in the nightlife world, it is very much centered on partying about socializing. There's like a sexuality, you know, a charge to it. There's alcohol involved. There's, um, yeah. So I do think if you are of any sort of conscious mind or interested in consciousness, like there's a shelf life to that life, right? Yeah. And like, to your point, I think that you definitely bond so much with people around you because they understand your lifestyle, but you know, after a while, or it, it just becomes, it can be a really great bonding mechanism. And it can also be a, a way to alienate yourself from, you know, other experiences too. So I was ready for, you did know, you, did, was there something that happened that created the shift? Was there like a certain event or it was just like, I'm done here. I'm tired. No, I think it was like, I was nearing 30 and I, I, again, I've been so lucky and privileged to interview a lot of really amazing people and had such great experience that are experiences that are completely irreplaceable. But I also think for me, it was becoming um, less of a novelty. It was still fun. It was still exciting, but it wasn't new. And I, I wanted to, I wanted more. I wanted to learn more. I think especially, and it's not an insult to anybody who does this because I fucking loved it for so long. And I still, you know, like I'll see a red carpet and I get, you know, the same like butterflies now. And just like, it's almost a nostalgia thing. It's like looking back on college and being like, wow, I had so much fun. I learned so much. I made so many, you know, amazing friends. But when you're, you know, five years out of college, do you feel like you want to go back to that? Like, no, you, you've graduated, you've moved on. And so that's how I kind of feel about that experience. Like I was, I was ready to graduate. It wasn't, I, you know, it wasn't like a sour feeling. It was just more of like, I'm, I've done my work here. <laughs> I also just, it sounds like you had such access to incredible people and conversations. And I can imagine you learned a lot, regardless of the experience and just being there, but also through speaking to all of these people that potentially you might've looked up to in some way or admired. Yeah. And I think it was just a great way to learn how to ask tough questions. I mean, sometimes you have 30 seconds with somebody and your assignment is to get out you know, the nitty gritty details of something very personal that's going on in their life. So it's like, how do you appeal to being professional and also, you know, understanding and doing your job, not getting yelled at, which I've gotten yelled at before too. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot that, that you, that you're molded into in a way, but in like a good way, because it gives you different kind of socializing skills. 
So was there like one memory that sticks out to you that was like the, an example of like being really vulnerable or asking something really vulnerable where like you were surprised, excited, like that it was exactly what you, you would have hoped for or more? I would have say more. I, I don't know that I, I would have hoped or expected it, but I'll, I'll give you a few examples. So starting with maybe something that sounds a little bit, um, expected, but again, just a great example of something that I probably wouldn't be the first question out of my mouth, you know, even to my close friends. But I remember I interviewed Snooki from the Jersey shore and it was right after she had a baby. And I think the assignment was revolving around, you know, what is motherhood like, especially for somebody who is so um, public with their partying or was, you know, I think one of my questions was like, what is it like having sex after having a baby? And it wasn't necessarily my question, but these are, you know, group interview questions that people discuss in the office. And obviously she's, she's a very open book. And I remember she answered my question. I, I honestly can't remember what she said, but I think it's stuff like that. Like, would I have asked that to anyone? No, probably not. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I showed up to work that day. She showed up to work that day. And that's where our conversation was, mm. you know, at the time. Um, I think that, you know, there have been, there was a time where I interviewed Bethany Frankel and she hadn't um, announced that her separation yet from her then husband. And she told me, you know, we were having this very um, deep conversation about stuff. And I asked her about her summer plans and you know, how, I think it was like about how much time she's spending in the Hamptons. And she uh, just decided to tell me that she and her husband hadn't seen each other in weeks. Mm. And obviously that was something in, in my brain kind of clicked, like what, like, but you're both in New York, but you know, you haven't seen each other. And, you know, a couple of weeks later was announced that they were separated. So I think that there are times where things are revealed and maybe they were meant to be or not meant to be, but it's like a matter of knowing what questions you want to ask next and kind of, and also just like being aware that like, these are humans and people and like, you know, these are their real lives too. So. I think that's such a beautiful like observation and also just like this realization of like, we are all just people. We all have like, you know, this, we wake up every morning, we hopefully go to sleep every night. What happens in between? Like, in terms of fundamental needs, it's all the same. And yeah. so much of like the celebrity culture, but like mass population is like people trying to undo their unmet needs and like, you know, either fill all of these holes that they were brought up with because their needs weren't met or like have gotten to this healing journey where they actually feel whole again and no longer are seeking outside of themselves to meet their needs. Like they can do it themselves, you know? Yeah, you know, it's, there's a lot of different it, stuff that goes on. And obviously like people have a lot to, I want to say like represent within themselves and like, you know, the people that they work with. So I think that there, there are varying degrees of like what people want to share or how open they are, you know, but it's, it's really interesting, you know, what can come out in like a very short, um, you know, interview. So not, not to like, this is, you know, just felt like I wanted to ask, but not to play into like gender, but did you find as a, a woman 
that you had more open conversations with other women or did it not matter? It was just depending on the person. No, I think it depends on the person. I think it also sometimes depends on their team. And I say that because sometimes, you know, I would sit with somebody completely one-on-one and not, you know, be reminded of you have five more minutes or you're, you have 30 seconds or that sort of thing. Um, and other times, you know, you do an interview and there's a personal publicist that hovers. And I don't mean just like, is you know, walking around in the background. I mean, they're standing closer to you than the person that you're interviewing. Mm. Um, and they're ready to jump in and, and kind of cut off this conversation as needed. So I don't know. I think it's, it's, it can be, I don't know. I think that I probably interviewed more women one-on-one. So I think they're probably, you know, there were a lot more stories that, um, you know, I conducted that were like deeper with women, but I, I feel like men were, well, men could open up a little bit too. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to stereotype. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I was just more so curious, like energetically, if you felt, because I could also look at it like sometimes men are more open because you are a woman, right? Yeah. So like, and still not to, to play in the gender game, but more so just like in a space like a red carpet, right? Where everyone's like on their best behavior, but also like, so are you. I can just assume that there was nerves, there was energy, there was chemistry, there was, um, as you said, 30 seconds to like hit it right? Yeah. And this expectation and the questions prepared and um, also like curveballs, like, you know, their staff or their publicist or whomever was blocking your ability to get what you needed, as opposed to working now as you do as a writer, choosing your stories or being assigned your stories and probably having much more leeway to like work through it, through drafts, right? Like through editing, like what is that? So tell me how that worked. So you decided you were done with nightlife, then what happened? Then I, um, I mean, I can't say that like I completely, um, you know, 180 because I think there was a period of time. It was, all right, so I'll like back up because it kind of bleeds into my book. So in like late 2016, I was still doing the red carpets. I'm still like going out a single um, you know, being a New York girl in her late twenties and, you know, being social and all that stuff. And I went to dinner with one of my guy friends and he was often, you know, my plus one for after parties. His name is Alejandro. We're still friends. Um, and essentially we had dinner and, you know, caught up and he asked me if I had any New Year's resolutions and, I'm not somebody who does New Year's resolutions because my thought process is that if I want to change something, like I don't need to wait 365 days to make that change. I can do it on a Monday. I can do it tomorrow. Like it doesn't need to be this high pressure Jan one situation. Um, So I said no. (laughs) And he asked me if I had heard about this thing called dry January. And I kind of looked like him at him, like he was an alien because, you know, everything I just told you, like, late nights, red carpets, dating, living in New York, being a 20 something, I just thought, and, and writing about alcohol. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how would I do that? Like, I can't even do my, I wouldn't be able to do my job. Mm. And, um, I kind of like changed the subjects. And then a week later it was New Year's Eve. And 
I was at a party and I had a glass of champagne in my hand and my cell phone in the other. And I was texting just friends saying, happy new year, you know, that sort of thing. And I texted Al and I wished him a happy new year. And I, I asked him if he wanted to do a dry January bet and he agreed. And so at midnight, I put down my drink and our bet started. <laughs> um, and the whole premise was, we were both going to complete dry January and the person who, who lost essentially who drank before um, Feb one would buy the other person dinner and there were no limitations. So any restaurant in New York city. So stakes were pretty high. Um, and yeah, by the end of it, he lost the bet. I won an incredible dinner at Momofuku Co. Mm. And um to this day, he he won't bet me ever again. Um, and yeah, and that's how it really started for me. And I've now do dry January every year. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of almost like the transition point too, because in, I think it was in 2017, I want to say, like February-ish is when, like right after my first dry January is when I, um, started really easing out of red carpets I did you know some events here and there for another year for us weekly um but it was more like you know a few times a month rather than every single night so yeah so then you won this bet you got I guess I want to say super curious and you went down this path and then like what led you to write a whole book on on this journey so, I mean, it's so impactful. It was insane. So a lot of the things that people ask me is like, you know, was it hard or how did you do it? Or like, did you like lose weight or did you see a change? And my thing was like, all I can say, I mean, there were a lot of positive impacts. Like my skin was like so much clearer. I had so much energy. I didn't lose weight because I was eating like a pint of ice cream a day instead of drinking. Um, I will say that other people tend to crave sugar too when that happens, when they give up alcohol. Um, but you know, I think that like at the end of it, I just had this like deep realization of, oh, and my sleep was so much better too. I just had this like deep realization that like alcohol was in every little like nook and cranny of my life, um, in instances that it didn't need to be. So I think like it wasn't a book was like not the plan it just I kind of started being asked to write about aspects of the dry month so for example I wrote a story about how my skin was clearer even during like the darkest like most dry days in New York um because of dry January and then just like over time um I you know was just having conversations with people about it and I would do my other challenges and you know people would ask me like what which challenge was like the best for your body because all the the other ones are mostly fitness and I'd always be like well this is gonna sound weird but it's not you know this that or the other it's not drinking and people would look at me like I had three heads so mm -hmm. um yeah so it, it was not that was not like the goal at first and it really didn't come till much later it's funny, I just re uh, interviewed this afternoon the woman who I like used to go to in New York for like colonics and colon hydrotherapy. And 
you know, we talk about how, you know, your gut is your second brain, but like in the emotional aspect of what we carry in our gut, what we hold on to, and also like this idea of what we're putting in our mouths and alcohol is a huge component in like gut health. And, um, and it's so real. It's so real that like what we put in shows up. And like you said, skin clearing and like, I'm the firmest believer. And like, we are, we really are what we eat. We are what we consume. We are who we spend our time with. We are all, we are a combination of everything we choose. Right. And sometimes it chooses us and that's a whole trauma conversation, but like we, we are, we are an embodiment of our choices. Absolutely. We're a sponge, whether we like it or not. And I would be so interested to hear what she has to say about alcohol because I find, and this is not to insult, you know, anybody who's going on a path of like elimination diets or anything like that, because of course people do have, you know, allergic reactions to certain, you know, ingredients and foods and that and whatnot. But I found that among, you know, my friends, if people have issues with their gut or, you know, something's up, they, they tend to eliminate so many other things and they almost like refuse, like with like their nails dug in to give up alcohol. They're like, I will give up gluten and, you know, people should, if, if, if it's going to help, they will give up dairy. They will give up meat. They will give up everything and anything. They will give up, you know, nightshades. They will whatever it is. And then, but I'm like, Oh, are you drinking? And they'll be like, well, I only drink like twice a week. And I'm like, that counts. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too. Like I was, I was in Colorado recently having a conversation with like, I want to say he was in his mid fifties, super successful guy, his wife, and like on this wellness journey. And we just got into talking because I always preach like, are you fueling yourself forward or like just filling space, be it with food, with, with television, with dating, with alcohol, with drugs, with work, we can overdo anything. Mm-hmm. And he was so woke to an extent and like, you know, wanted to talk about all these things, but like, clearly there was um, a disconnect in how he's treating himself. And I said, like, what is, what is it? What is the empty that you're filling? And he looked at me and I think I caught him because, you know, I caught him off guard because I, I tend to be pretty straight to the point, same. I made him uncomfortable for a second. And then like very compassionately, he said, you know what? I don't know that I've figured that out yet, but I'm trying to. And so it was so open and honest that he was like honoring my question and honoring the truth that he didn't know or that he didn't, he hadn't come to that yet. But, you know, we, we fill ourselves with, with all of these extra things. And yes, gluten, sugar, dairy, blah, blah, blah. But like the alcohol thing is a thing. And mm-hmm. it's really, it, it affects everything. And um, it's it's interesting because in that conversation with him, I said, you know, society wants us to be numb because when we're numb and we're shut down, then we reach out for everything else. Like, yeah, you get a little buzz, then you want a snack, then you want a this, you get a little buzz, then you want another buzz. Like we're constantly living in this, you know, numbing so that we're asking for help or getting something else or needing extra. Because what would happen if we were all just completely present and conscious and we couldn't be sold anything? We would be good. Yeah. yeah, it would be a lot more difficult. There'd be a lot more um, pushback. And I think like, you know, there, there definitely has been a rise in that. 
Yeah. And I think it's interesting because when we discussed before, you, you've been known obviously as a writer, but now specifically through writing this book. And then I assume that there's um, assumption around like, oh, she's sober. Oh, she can't, you know, so, and I think you've also mentioned either um, stigma that you are or stigma that you're not if you choose to have a drink. So like, what does that look like? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, especially, you know, when my book launched and I was writing a lot about my own like experiences and often people would email or they'd DM me and they'd ask like, are you sober? And it was so, it was so interesting because like one email would say, oh, you, you would go out like two or three times a week before, you know, your first dry challenge, like you barely drank. Meanwhile, like other people would be like, oh, if you have, you know, 10 drinks a year, which is what I did in 2020, I mean, literally 10 in the entire year. And people were like, well, you're not sober enough. Like you clearly don't drink enough for it to, to matter if you give it up. And I'm like, I can't win. Like, and I'm not trying to either. I'm obviously just presenting the facts and like, this is, what I've done and this is what I'm doing and sharing it. But, you know, I think most people are appreciative of that and also supportive, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, give the wrong impression or tell people that I am hundred percent sober when I'm not, that's not um, being truthful. So, I, you know, the answer is that I do drink. It's not often, it's not a lot. Um, to the, you know, compared to pre 2017. So pre my first dry challenge, but I will say that, you know, over the course of the couple of years that I have been doing dry months, it's certainly decreased. And that is a very common um, side effect um, is that people who do dry months will drink less in the, in the months that follow. And then of course, in the years that follow. And in that, or with that, like, obviously your relationship to alcohol with alcohol has changed when you choose to drink or you don't choose to drink. Like what is, what's driving that? Like, how would you define your relationship with alcohol? It's funny, you know, it's almost like I will find any excuse to not drink. So for example, I went to a Tiesto concert in Brooklyn. This was this within this month and did not have a sip of alcohol. I had a Celsius energy drink and I was feeling great. And I knew that it was going to be late night and I was going to, my dad was visiting the next day. So, you know, I was like, no, I'm not going to drink because I'm, I want to be alert and I want to be alive and like, you know, lively tomorrow. So that was kind of like my reasoning. And I think that if I am drinking, it's, it's pretty rare, but it's either, I don't know. It's gotta be like for a specific reason. Like somebody wants me to try something or cause I've gone to weddings sober. I've, you know, I don't know. And in that, so like you mentioned the word commitment a couple of times when you're talking about Alejandro or commitment challenges. And I think um, it's interesting too, cause I love the duality and the, the speak of you were on this red carpet journey entertainment you went into this dry challenge thing but either way it's really about committing so you're either committing to an interview you're committing to this challenge you're committing to yourself 
and then your commitment to like your workout. So obviously, as we talked about, like we met at Box and Flow. I remember you in that class. And um, and since like I love your stories about like your your 30 day commitments to Tracy Anderson or to Barry's boot camp. And um, and so I'm curious, like, what role does fitness play in your life first? And then I'll ask, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, fitness is a huge part of, I think, my daily life. It's not only just my, like, meditation. I don't meditate. I, I will keep trying, but it's not worked out so far. So I find that, you know, that is my me time where there is no cell phone in the room. I am breathing. I am, you know, clearing my head. And I'm also... I think it helps me sleep better at night. It's also, you know, helps me think more clearly. And so it's definitely, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, berries or yoga or, you know, doing a bar class, it's, it keeps me kind of like on track. It's like, okay, I know that I'm going to kind of check this box in the morning, kind of like calm my mind. And at the same time, I will have accomplished one thing today if not you know the rest of my to-do list for the rest of the day so um I think there's that aspect of it I think there's also just you know just maintaining a healthy lifestyle is important to me and I've are met you some daily is it like an everyday yeah it's I mean there are like admittedly like there are times where I will not make it to the gym because I'm too tired or whatever but it's definitely at least five days a week. I aim for seven. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And then but, in these challenges, so like Barry's challenge or bar challenge, or, you know, are you doing an F45 challenge now? No, I just went this morning, but right right now I'm not doing any challenges because I have a lot of travel coming up. So I don't want to like interrupt it. Yeah. But yeah. Have you found that people respond to that and like take on the challenge? Because I think it's like, listen, I'm super committed. Same as you. Like I've been doing my workouts every day and maybe I've actually become looser in it of like, it doesn't have to be boxing and yoga every day. It can just, I wake up and I feel what my body wants and I do that. And sometimes it's rest and sometimes it's 12 miles. Um, but have people responded to your journalism about your like workout commitments to like, Oh my God, I'm doing it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first question is like, typically like, oh my God, did you like lose weight or, and like, (laughs) my response is always like, no, because I, you know what I mean? I'm always like going to replace those calories with something. It's probably going to be ice cream. So, I mean, I I think, uh, you know, everybody has different goals. Right. And so for me, that wasn't it. A lot of them are usually like, I mean, to be completely honest, like not goal oriented, it's just like finish this and then see what happens, which was, you know, the same thing for my dry challenge. Um, it was just to like beat my friend and like, see how it goes. Yeah. Um, so I think for things like berries, like I, I think I anticipated maybe being fatigued or people calling me crazy. Cause like, I get it doing that 30 days in a row is probably not safe for everyone. Um, but you know, I think like the takeaway there, as you said, was like, would I have done this if I was listening to my body? And that's no, you know, nothing offensive about berries. I love it, but I probably would have taken a day off and just, you know, relaxed instead. So I'm so curious with that berries challenge, as you said, like, if you 
had listened to your body, maybe you would have taken a day off. Like, what's your relationship with your body now? Because like, again, coming from red carpet, being out all night, maybe drinking, maybe not, you know, you probably realized you were tired, but it was part of the grind. You kept going in this commitment. Like you're doing a dry challenge, which probably was like so fulfilling to your body and your body's like, yes, I want this. I'm going to keep going workout challenge. Yes. Physicality, but maybe intense, whatever. Like, are you someone who checks in on that? Like, do you follow that intuition of like, I should eat this, I should eat this. Or it's like, I worked out, I'm gonna eat ice cream. Like, is it is it complicated for you? Is it quite simple? Um, I think it changes a lot, but I think like, you know, because there are days where you're like, oh my God, I just really don't want to work out. And then you do, and you're like, wow, I just feel so much better. Um, I will say that I think, you know, I used to work out seven days a week. There was nothing that was gonna get in my way of working out, and sometimes, you know, twice a day. And now if I don't work out, I'm not like upset about it. I'm not like, wow, I, you know, failed today. It's just like, okay, I was busy. I prioritized other things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think on top of that, um, when I'm not drinking like consistently, and I really realized this during that first year, which was like, I was probably sleeping four to five hours a night. And if I was drinking, it's because I was like getting up in the middle of the night and have, you know, like just couldn't sleep. Um, but I, I really did not attribute it to drinking. I thought like, I'm an anxious person. My life is go, go, go. Like as a freelancer, I just don't know what's coming up next. And like, I have to be on high alert all the time. But like, that wasn't hundred percent true because, you know, not too long after my challenge started, I would say probably within the first 10 days, I went from sleeping four to five hours a night, sleeping seven to eight. And really nothing changed about my lifestyle except for giving up alcohol because I was still working like crazy. I was still, you know, doing um, red carpets, still staying out late. I was still working out in the morning, but it was just better uninterrupted sleep. And if anybody with like a good night's sleep for some bad night's sleep knows, like, it changes everything. It changes like your interactions with people and your mood and just like your productivity and just like your, the choices that you make. So you're just more relaxed and more at ease. So, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, it definitely ties into more of just like a overall healthy balance rather than just like a fitness thing. But, um, it's interesting when you, when you mentioned earlier about my energy, you know, I think I've always been someone who's known she's needed like not eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. Yeah. And definitely. Like when I was younger working in food and I would go and drink two tequilas and be up in the middle of the night same. like, and I am so sensitive to alcohol. doesn't mean I don't drink it. And my sleep would be affected. Like I was a zombie all day, but you know, at some point I've always known how much sleep I needed, but anxiety plays into that. And like, if you know where you are in your life and what's on your mind and you know, I always these days like attribute to like a, a child, like this, the beauty of like a baby that just like puts its head down and surrenders mm -hmm. because they have nothing. They're not conditioned. There's no thinking. It's just like they go to bed. Right. right. And if we could just be that clear and be that pure to just allow ourselves without putting all of this shit in our body too, or in our heads too, or in our relationships too. And, um, it is, it's the biggest factor. Like sleep to me is life. 
Like it it fuels you in everything that you do, especially like if you're active or working out, if you're um, working, like if your brain's working, anything relationship wise, like it's so hard to be in communication with other people when you're not fully present, you know, and sleep plays such a big part of that. Oh my God, definitely. It just, I mean, sleep is just, it's so important. I mean, it just, I can't even, it didn't realize, I think, how important it was too until. You stopped driving. Yeah. Was that your big, like, what was your biggest takeaway besides like what it did for your body or your skin or your sleep? Or was there like one thing that was like the most profound? I think there were like three. So one being my sleep two being just realizing how many events and things and points in my overall life that had an alcohol component to it. And I'm just talking about like outside of, you know, the uh, quote unquote, I'm putting this in quotes cause it's not, but the normal things, right? Like going to a birthday or going on a date maybe, or, you know, places where you think alcohol will, will be naturally like going to a bar obviously but like also just realizing that it was like seeping into things like going you know to just like past time like taking a walk and being like you know oh like a friend being like oh should we get a drink it's like no let's just take a walk like you know like or realizing like even in New York like picnics like there's an alcoholic component like you know, just stuff like that. But I will say like dating definitely was a, a game changer. I think that when you are inebriated, you obviously can miss some potential red flags. I think that people um, are, you know, not as clear, yeah. you know? And, and I think that dating sober versus dating with alcohol was just, a completely different experience, but in like a very positive way, because instead of, you know, going on dates where you were kind of like sitting across from each other, almost like interview style, like, hi, like, where are you from? Like, what do you do? Um, it really opened up the opportunity to get to know somebody on like a more almost like casual, like natural, like organic level where, you know, you'd go like, I, took a date to Barry's food camp. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we went to go get ice cream. I brought up ice cream so many times. People are going to think I'm like, yeah, I am obsessed. Um, you know, yeah. going to ice cream, like just doing other activities and maybe like, you know, doing things and seeing things and also just like understanding other people's interests and my interests more instead of another bar and another cocktail. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good point. And as we're sitting here talking, you know, if I were to look back at my experience overall, alcohol has played such a role in so many moments in my life where um, I felt so vulnerable to um, everything. Mm-hmm. Like, And I didn't have the sovereignty to either say no or to, to be more forthright with what I needed because there was that numbing agent. And also as a result of that numbing agent and then subsequently events that have happened in my life, it it sort of also made me want to reach out and numb further. So yeah. one who's small and who has a very low alcohol content um, tolerance, even just genetically, like one glass of wine and I'm buzzed, one martini, I'm like 
face planning, right? Uh-huh. Someone with that tolerance, me, who then is seeking out to fill time and space and body with a drink because there's anxiety or trauma or unmet needs. Like it's a drug. It's a drug. We know that it's a drug, but it's also for me, it's almost sensitive because it has played such a role in my my loss of um of sovereignty in the ability to say no or like take me home or you know so I, I think that it's we can talk about it surface level right as like a social thing which not surface it's important because it, it's something you're putting in your body but like I think overall as a whole it can really be such um a change agent when you take it out and, and reclaim that but also such a detriment to like your ability to like really own your boundaries, right? Yeah. I also think it's, you know, one of those things where eventually if your relationship continues, if you're going to continue dating someone, like you're not going to be drinking every single time you see them. And it's like, I understand that people say, you know, alcohol is an icebreaker. But I also think that like, and yeah, it might, it might take a little bit of guts to like not drink on a first date if, you know, you're feeling anxious about things. But I mean, overall, I've, I've just found that like, I'm much more clear. I'm much more like present and it's just easier for me. to kind of, for lack of a better word, like analyze what I like about someone, you know, like I, it, it sounds so silly, but I feel like a lot of times, like, especially in my twenties, you know, I would leave a date or like, you know, girlfriend would leave a date and we'd talk and be like, Oh, how was the date? And you'd be like, Oh yeah. It's a great place. Like such a good vibe. And they'd be like, all right, well, what do you like about him? And I'd be like, Oh, like he's cute. And like, we just have like a really good time. And like, that is important, right? Like connecting with somebody and just like feeling their energy. But I also think like, when you're that's you under the influence and that's them under the influence and it just always raises the question of like do you get along without that right and I think for like a lot of couples or like for a lot of people who are dating sometimes that is kind of you know things break off because they don't know how to just be with each other right or there's like not as much in common like maybe that's the bond that's holding it and I think it can be said for so many other things like you know we again because of how we're brought up or what we've experienced we sort of either like load up this backpack that we're carrying with like costume or facade or we like layer on the masks and how we present ourselves to the world and I think that when you add substance in that when you're meeting people or when you show up in a way of like you know it, it is it does quell social anxiety to have a drink at a party. You know, it is an icebreaker, but then you never really get to know yourself, right? So, and know that you can stand in those ex- like experiences without the need for the numbing agent or, you know, the, the imaginary cape or, you know, the other costume. It's like, you can really be as you are. And I actually think when we strip away all of this shit, then we get to know who we are which is why then we can energetically attract people who are who they are as opposed to, you know, costuming or, or nothing. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but seems this way that clearly like you want to be in this conscious space. You want to speak to this ability to be free in your own skin, you know, asking the questions that you want the answers to, because they're the questions you ask yourself. Yeah, of course. And also just like, I don't know. I think it's, for me, 
now that I don't drink as much, like I obviously want to be with somebody who respects that, <laughs> you know, like, and also can, can vibe without it. Like if some, if I'm dating somebody and they're drinking, like, and that's part of their life, like, I mean, to each their own to a degree, but also like, I don't know, you know, that, like I, I don't know like I think that there's just like other things to do is my point <laughs> yeah no but I think that's so beautiful that you came to that realization particularly having started in this world surrounded by nightlife and drinking and entertainment so like in that whole journey from like start to your fitness experience your professional experience like how has your experience with yourself been modeled or reflected in your relationships personally professionally romantically like does it feel like it's in sync with as you've evolved? So has everything else? Yeah, definitely. And I think that like, not even on like a, a direct, uh, I shouldn't say a direct, but like not on a, the level that I have, um, like it's not even like a forceful thing. That's what I'm trying to say. In a more organic way, like I just have found that like my, the stuff that I cover in, my career is more on brand for like my personality. I think, you know, when you're starting out, you take a lot of assignments regardless of what they are um, to build your portfolio and also just like to learn. And now, you know, I'm very lucky to choose a lot of the assignments that I, you know, go through with, but I also think that they reflect like my interests. And um, I think that even like within my friend group, like it's just, it's so nice to have the support of, like people around me but I think that also now that people realize you know if we're going out like I'm probably gonna have a coffee or like an energy drink or something like that before or during um I think more and more people like around me are doing that too and like it's interesting because the first year that I did this obviously with with Al a lot of people had questions and most of them were kind of like well why are you doing this and the following year came like a little bit less. And then the year after that, it became like, I'm thinking about doing it. And it was the same people that were like, kind of giving me an attitude, but I kind of took it as like, maybe they're just curious. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, in all aspects of life, I think that like, not me being like, okay, you guys have to do this, but like friends, like people have dated, definitely start to, the people around me have started to drink less and less as time goes on. So, you know, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's, again, it's like, as your energy shifts, everything around you shifts. Yeah. You know, the, the people you attract, the, the work you attract. I mean, that's at least in my personal journey, that's what I found. Like, and then it becomes clear because you're seeing through clear eyes, what's really for you, what's not. And that could be as complicated as like your romantic partner for life, or as simple as like the food that you choose to eat because you're in tune with yourself now. It's not through a, a blurred lens. Yeah. So what's coming next? What are you working on now? Um, still writing stuff. I think, you know, recently I um, did this project slash partnership with the Williamsburg Hotel in Brooklyn. And I introduced um, for non-alcoholic beverages to their menu. And I think that, you know, it was really rewarding. It was something that the hotel and I had talked about for months and months and months and kind of, it finally came to fruition. 
this summer. So I'm really excited and proud about that. And um, I, I definitely want to continue doing that kind of work. I mean, in addition to um, obviously writing about things that I care about, but I think that it's really important that, you know, people have options. Um, and there are so many great brands too, like that I'm just like obsessed with, like there are non-alcoholic wines. There's a brand called Starla out of um, Dallas and they make like red, white, and rosé and like you know, there are so many alternatives and ways that people, I think, can feel more inclusive. Um, there's also like non-alcoholic cocktails. There's a brand called Viterra. They're out of California. And there's, um, you know, there's just like so many great options available that I think that people don't know about. So um, I think I'm going to work a little bit more on that. Maybe like getting some more alternative drinks into restaurants that that really don't have anything other than like soft drinks and, you know, mm -hmm. water, but people can feel like they're part of an adult um, menu conversation. But yeah, I think like there's definitely more room for that. And um, you'll have to let me know next time you're in New York because I'm doing like, you know, more events and stuff too so that people can socialize without booze. So I think that's gonna continue. And now that we can all see each other in person. Yeah, I know. I know. And I need to take a trip to Austin soon. Yes, let me know. There's there's some non-alcoholic stuff. I mean, people carry them, but I think that we could use your magic touch and education. So yeah. maybe we do a fitness pop-up and a non-alcoholic thing. Oh well, yeah, box and flow. Let's yeah. Well, it's so nice to talk to you. And I am hearing you, like, like I said, I do drink on occasion. I don't drink that much, but it's certainly a part of my life. And at the same time, I feel so much cleaner when I don't have it in my body. And I typically only do that. Like I've done ayahuasca twice, but part of the preparation for ayahuasca is this dieta, which is like clear everything out. And, um, and I feel like my sensitivity is just on point, like energetically, I can feel everything. There's such a deep knowing and uh, it's actually how I always want to feel. So maybe it's just a matter of making different choices. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. As always, I love reading what you write. And I am such a huge fan of everything you put down. Thank you. And thank yeah. you for having me. Of course, I will see you soon. Uh, wait, one last thing. Where do people find you? Uh, find me on Instagram. Hillary with one L writes NY um, or my website hillaryshinebound.com um, and yeah my book is sold at Barnes and Noble, Target, Amazon, Strand Bookstore, New York. And it's um, called The Dry Challenge, yes? The Dry Challenge, yes. Awesome. Well thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.